to Journey U West, the podcast for people on a path. I'm Monica Sanford, U West's campus culture officer, and I'll be talking to students about the three defining values that make University of the West such a special school character, compassion, and community. When did that stop being weird and become normal? I don't think you're ever going to get away from the weirdness. <laughs> I think it, it subsides a little bit, but there's always going to be those little reminders that there's, it's still just a little awkward. Is, that, is weird good? Oh, weird is definitely good. <laughs> weird is the best thing ever. If you're not, if something's not weird, that means that you're not on your toes and you don't know what's going on around you. Journey U West is brought to you by the Frederick P. Lenz Foundation for American Buddhism. The Lenz Foundation seeks to inspire the emergence of an enlightened American society through philanthropy that supports community, collaboration, and a capacity for living and working mindfully in the world. Journey U West is podcast from University of the West in Rosemead, California, just 10 minutes outside downtown Los Angeles. University of the West offers accredited bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees in six academic fields, including psychology, business, liberal arts, and religion. Find out more at www.uwest.edu. The community at UWest is utterly unique. About half of our students are domestic. Most are locals from Southern California. But some of them come from the Midwest, the East Coast, the South, and even some from the mountain states. The other half of our students are international. They come from over 40 countries to study at U-West. Most international students are from East Asia, places like China, Taiwan, and Korea. But others come from Europe, South America, Australia, the Middle East, and other parts of Asia. There are even a handful from Africa, like Farmata Fall. Farmata, originally from Mauritania, was first attracted to U-West by the sunshine and by the financial support available to international students. So I was living in Washington, D.C. when I came here in 2014, and I stayed there for a year, but then I was looking for other places, not Washington, because it was very cold there, and I wanted just a place that was like home. So that was California or Florida. And when I was looking on the internet, with my brother's help, we found University of the West. And they were also given a scholarship of $10,000. So that really excited me because it's the same price for international and domestic students. Usually international students do not get any type of financial aid. And also we all have the same opportunity to get the scholarship from US. It's not only like, only the federal aid, that's like only for domestic students, but everything else that comes from U.S., everyone can enjoy it. So that's, that's different from other schools. Yes, that's different. That's really good. So you came and you immediately made yourself part of the community. How did that happen? Yes, I did. Um, so I think that happened thanks to Juan, because when I came, he's the one who hired me to be a desk attendant my first year. So that helped me a lot get more involved because I was working in the dorm and I would see students all the time. I would go get the mail. I would talk to staff and faculty. That just gave me like more confidence because I feel like he believed in me and he was like, she can do it. So 
I, I did it. And that's how it started. And people were really nice. They would just try to make me feel home. They would always try to talk to me. At the beginning, I was really shy, so I wouldn't talk to many people. But then seeing that they were like, they really cared. So I got to be more open with many more people. Farmata got so into the U.S. community that she ran for student government. I asked what the student government did. So um, we do a lot of events and we also sponsor the clubs. We give them the budget. If there's any club, if there's a student who wants to create a club, they just come and tell us what their club is about and we give them the budget. We help them out. Also, what do we do? We do surveys. In my position, if there is a student who has any problem, they come and talk to me and I will help them solve, solve it. If I cannot, I will talk to Monica. She's our advisor and she helps us out. And we try to be really involved on campus and be like everywhere. So if you could boil community here at US down to one principle or one word, how would you describe it? Happy. Happy? Yes. Yeah. A happy community. It's a happy community. It is. Yeah. Because whenever you see people, they're all the time smiling. And Monica, oh my God, <laughs> you always have to smile on your face. And that that makes me feel really good sometimes when I'm having a bad day and I just see you and you have that big smile. I'm like, wow. Um, other people as well, they're really nice. They are. I think it's a happy community. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> now I'm going to have to smile more. <laughs> So when you bring so many different people together from so many different places, there's bound to be some friction. People who visit our campus often ask us, how can you all get along so well? How can you create a community when everyone is so different? We tell them that it doesn't happen by accident. Community is one of our three values, which means we put effort into it. We're committed to the idea that diversity can be an asset Community doesn't come from everyone being the same. Community happens when lots of different people are unified by a common purpose. In our case, we're unified by our vision to be a place where the world comes to meet, and by our commitment to our values, character, compassion, and community. Those are values everyone can support no matter where they come from, what language they speak, or what religion they are. In fact, our diversity really enhances those values because it opens everyone up to the many, many different ways we can act on them. That wouldn't be possible if we all came from one place, spoke one language, or followed one religion. Everyone here is committed to the idea of being part of a diverse community. In fact, a lot of students come here looking for that. Being small helps. You can't disappear into the crowd here. We get to know each other. We greet each other by name and ask not just, how are you, but also, how's your sister doing? Did you get your new car yet? How did your test go? That's only possible when we really know each other and care about each other. When we see someone new on campus, we realize right away and ask that person if we can help them or who are you visiting? That might sound nosy, but it's also very cozy. People often describe US like a big, really strange family, but still a family. Students come here instead of going to UC or Cal State because they like the idea of a small community, somewhere they could be more than just a number. Some students have left to go to community college and then come back because they realized they can actually be more successful here with that community wrapped around them. 
and Melody came here together looking for that kind of community, and they found it right away. These are the two talented songwriters and musicians behind our intro theme music. Their band is known as the Atomic Attractions. Both graduated this year with bachelor's degrees in psychology, and we will be happy to have Melody staying with us to continue on to her master's degree in the fall. We're sure we'll still get to see a lot of PJ, too. I asked them both what they thought of U.S.'s Buddhist heritage. I think the Buddhism aspect here on the campus and how it influences the sense of community here is that people don't judge before they get to know somebody. Part of Buddhism is not putting those labels on something or somebody. And so people are a lot more open to just sitting down and talking to you regardless of what you look like or any preconceived notions that somebody might have of you. They decide to make their own notions or their own judgments based off of what interactions they have with you. And so I think it makes it a little bit more accepting. Um, I think that, you know, University of the West has been a different type of community than any school that I've ever been at, um, from elementary school all the way up through college, um, where I've never really felt, you know, completely included. When did you first notice that it was different? Uh, I first noticed that it was different pretty much the first day of school when, like, you'd just be walking around and people that you've never seen before would just, like, smile and wave. And I was just like, that's really weird. And I mean, like, especially driving here, too, because you get used to, like, people who are just, you know, really, really mean in traffic. And it's like when you would come here, all of a sudden it would just go so much slower. I asked PJ and Melody if they had any special stories about U-West. Melody told us this. I guess the most heartwarming story to me is my father just passed away this February. And so I was in and out of classes a lot during the beginning of the semester. And this is kind of, this kind of illustrates how the campus is very much like a community. Everybody on campus knew what I was going through and most were very empathetic towards it or sympathetic. And it even got to the point where Maria Aon, our Dean of Enrollment, she actually sent me a very beautiful bouquet of flowers saying that our U.S. community is with me and if I need anything, anybody on campus would be very willing to help me. That's a really good indicator of the community here on campus. This is Monica Sanford and you're listening to Journey U West, the podcast for people on a path. We're talking about community today, and I'd like to share a piece of our community with you. This is a Dharma diary, the power of tea. It began with one teapot, six cups, and a single bag of cookies. I put up flyers around campus. I had no idea who might come. We only had six chairs, so it would be cozy. Sometimes one person came and stayed a few minutes. Sometimes five people came and stayed the entire hour. Sometimes, I mostly sat by myself, sipped tea, and read a book. Slowly, slowly, like the steam wafting leisurely from a cup of hot tea, word began to spread. I added a second teapot and more cups. We moved to a larger venue, one with about 10 chairs. The snacks diversified to include fruit strips, little chocolates, mixed nuts. I got a package of to-go cups for those who were just passing through but could still benefit from a cup of tea. People began donating tea, mostly through the time-honored practice of regifting. 
Variety packs and beautiful tins of loose leaf tea would show up at my office door with lovely Chinese lettering on them, which I cannot read. Frequently, they appeared just after Christmas or Chinese New Year or someone's business trip abroad. Many times I brewed mystery tea and was never disappointed. We moved to another venue slightly larger. A small fundraiser enabled the purchase of a cart to carry all the tea things and snacks. I gained a student assistant and didn't feel a single drop of guilt. Well, maybe one. For tasking her with washing up. Rewarded with tea every week, she didn't complain. As she prepared to graduate this year, she told me that hosting tea was the favorite part of her work each week. Tea at Three has become a venerable institution, a real part of our community. It is the only event related to my work as a campus chaplain that has endured these past four years. I've held events and hosted speakers to mixed results. But tea, ah tea, is something students ask about. What day are you hosting tea this semester? They want to know when we pass in the hall. Same place? Can I bring a pie next week? I'm baking this weekend, they offer. Can I show folks how to prepare tea the traditional Chinese way? And they bring their own beautiful teapots and cups. I don't like tea, she says. But she comes every week, buys a soda from the vending machine, eats the cookies, and stays the entire hour. <laughs> Students, faculty, and staff are all welcome. There are many regulars, some who stop by occasionally, and a few who pause in surprise. I didn't know you did this, they say, and accept a cup of tea. Yep, every week for three years now. I'm glad you found us. Have a cookie. We held our final tea at three of the school year, and it was a special event. A colleague unveiled the woven art project students and staff created together earlier that spring. We had flowers and tiny vegan chocolate cupcakes and iced fruit tea. The couches overflowed and people pulled up chairs from everywhere, or they just sat on the floor. I passed out tea and then sat down with a pair of knitting needles and a ball of yarn. People came over to watch me knit and two young women, one from Sri Lanka and one from Nepal, gave it a try. Folks wandered in and out. Students voluntarily served tea and refilled teapots at need. Conversation drifted from topic to topic. Are you reading the New York Times or the LA Times? I asked a student with a newspaper. And we began a conversation about politics and his recent trip to visit prison inmates with a professor. When will you get your black belt? I asked a young woman who doesn't drink tea as we talked about the people at her dojo. How'd the stats test work out? I directed towards a small group of students who had lamented the difficulty of their final exam at last week's tea. A repetition of complaints against the professor ensued. I got a new tattoo, do you want to see? Has been heard more than once at our little tea party. Oh, it's three o'clock, harried staff exclaim as they pass our little group. I guess I can sit for a few minutes. Then they stay for half an hour. The thing about tea is there is no other agenda. No assigned topic, no target group. Sometimes we spend the entire hour talking about memes and television. Sometimes we talk about suicide and childhood trauma. Sometimes we talk about both on the same day. I make an effort to check in with each student and staff person, but there are also times I just sit back and listen as they build connections with each other, build our little community cup by cup. Such a simple thing, but we all immediately know what to do when sitting around sharing tea. It's a human thing, thousands of years old. Many cultures still use tea medicinally. 
Some herbs do affect the body, but mostly I believe the medicine of tea is in the human connections it fosters, the community it creates. Recent research has shown that patients who spend just 10 more minutes talking with their palliative care doctors each week report less pain and fewer medications than those who are denied that human connection. Tea is powerful because it is a focal point for building those connections. Once in a while, someone who has been at tea will show up at my office door. Can we talk? They ask. Their expression tells me they need more than tea and cookies. But because of tea, they know I'll listen. Because of tea, they know there are many people here who care about them. Tea at three will return for fall semester. I look forward to sharing a cup with you. Another person who's happy in the Buddhist part of the U.S. community is a venerable Buddhist monk from, of all places, Normal, Illinois. I am Haimin Sunim, and I'm in the Doctorate of Buddhist Ministry. And your name wasn't always Haimin Sunim. No, um, that's my monastic name. Haimin Sunim is my monastic name in the Korean tradition. How did a nice boy like you from Normal, Illinois end up in a joint like this? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Um, I like being a part of the community here at U-West uh, because I went as an undergrad to Illinois State University, which is a huge university. At the time it had 25, 26,000 students. I lived at home as well, uh, and so I never really felt part of a community there. When I first came to U-West in 2006 for my first master's degree, I lived on campus. There were other monks and nuns here. I was the only one in a Tibetan tradition at the time. but. There were other monks and nuns here, and we really did develop a community, um, both around our shared experience of studying here and also the conversations that we would have about the differences in our Buddhist traditions and, and practices. And that's a little bit different than even other places where Buddhists study, isn't it? Yes, um, it is different than other places where Buddhists study. Um, in large measure, as an American academic institution, I don't know of any other institution with such a high percentage of monks and nuns. That's one way in which it's different. But also something that we run into even now in Buddhist studies in the West is the tendency for academics to assume that if you're a practitioner of the Dharma, that you can't be a good scholar. Uh, in fact, I had a friend who was studying, I think in Arizona or New Mexico a number of years ago, who left her, her PhD or master's program because when she you know, came out, so to speak, as a Buddhist, she was written off by her professors as a potential scholar. Whereas at U-West, uh, it's not exactly expected that you're a Buddhist if you're in Buddhist studies. We've had students who aren't practitioners um, in the PhD program, in the MDiv program, um, but uh, it's certainly accepted here. And of course, many of our professors are also practitioners as well. I wondered if Venerable Heyman thought any students objected to the Buddhist aspect of life on campus. I haven't, I haven't noticed any students from non-Buddhist backgrounds responding negatively, um, certainly to the Buddhist content in many of the courses, um, the presence of monastics on campus. Um, I think there are some that are just not interested. That's not why they came here. But everyone who comes here, I think, knows already the, the Buddhist connection that we have. Um, and then, as I was saying, there are some students who possibly through their exposure to Buddhism here have taken up the practice of Buddhism um, or are considering it. Buddhism is a little unique in that aspect in that often when people take up Buddhism or Buddhist practices, they don't leave their home tradition. 
Well, yes, that's true. People who who take up Buddhism don't always leave their home traditions. In fact, I remember hearing about a an American Zen master who's Jewish, who I think it was when his parents passed away. You know, he was at his Zen center, but then he would go to a synagogue nearby and do the Jewish prayers for his his parents or his father who passed away. My family knows that I'm Buddhist, but we still celebrate Christmas. Of course, for us, it's a family holiday more so than a religious holiday. Um, but I do find generally, particularly with Western converts to Buddhism, that there seems to be less conflict with still participating in sort of the religious traditions of their families of origin. Of course, I'm very careful at the beginning of every semester to, to make it clear that the purpose of the class is not to try and convert anyone. I, I think that would be unethical to use a class to do that. I mean, even here at U.S., it is at the end of the day an academic institution. It's not a monastic institution. And there's more to development as a Buddhist practitioner, I think, but particularly as a monk or nun, beyond just taking classes that, that a university just can't provide. Um, so I, I hope in the future someday, post-graduation, to actually bring this seminary to life in a residential monastic uh, form. Well, future president of the Buddhist Monastic College, Venerable Heyman. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's not a perfect community, of course. We still have students who come here, sometimes over great distances, and then just stay in their comfort zone, only hanging out with other students who are like them. They're still part of our community, even if they're not getting the full benefits of diversity. Sometimes we do have conflict. People come with different sense of behavioral expectations, assumptions they didn't even know they had until someone else acts completely differently from what they're used to. We hold a lot of workshops to introduce the idea that you're going to be surprised. And we work really hard to give students good cross-cultural and mediation skills. Sometimes it doesn't work. But it works often enough for enough of our people that we can proudly call ourselves a real community. We genuinely enjoy getting together in the dining hall or the garden or just catching up in the hallways. We're a little microcosm of the world in suburban Los Angeles. We hope that kind of friendliness will rub off on the rest of the world when our students leave here. of Journey U.S. was made possible by the Frederick P. Lenz Foundation for American Buddhism. The Lenz Foundation seeks to inspire the emergence of an enlightened American society through philanthropy that supports community, collaboration, and a capacity for living and working mindfully in the world. course by all the good compassionate people at University of the West, a little gem in Rosemead, California. You should consider U-West as you plan your path to higher learning. For more information, visit www.uwest.edu or call 626-571-8811. Journey U-West was produced by Good Citizen Media Group. Our theme music is The Jump by Atomic Attractions. Additional music by Guo Kyung Lee and Andy Wolf. Find the rest of our continuing conversation with U.S. students as we discuss the university's other values, compassion and character. Available wherever you got this podcast.
you'll hear from a young man who speaks on the uniqueness of the U.S. faculty and their ability to practice compassion in the classroom, and how a freshman student from Compton found strength relating himself to what he was studying. I'm Monica Sanford, saying stay on the path.